interesting week in the history of our country. Uh, we had an election on Tuesday uh, that caught a majority of people by surprise, I would say, to say the least. Uh, but I want to make sure that, that I say this as your pastor. Uh, that didn't catch the Lord by surprise. And I want to make sure that you understand this. I, I don't know who you voted for. I don't know if you felt like when you woke up Wednesday morning that what happened was a bad thing or whether or not you helped, thought it was a good thing. But I do want to say this to you. Uh, Donald Trump is not going to lead our country into a spiritual revival unless the Lord Jesus transforms his life. And I just want you to understand, no matter who was elected, whether that had been Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump, that would have been true. And I want us to understand, our hope is in the exact same place it was Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. It's not in an elected official. It is in the Lord Jesus Christ, and it must stay there because only a movement of the Holy Spirit is going to solve what's happening in our country. And listen, we need to be praying for our president, not just because he's new. We should be always praying for all of our leaders. That's what Scripture commands of us. We need to be praying for our Senate, for our House. We need to be praying for our Supreme Court. We need to be praying for our governors, for our local houses, for our mayors, all of those people, because we need the Lord Jesus Christ to move in our country like he's never done before. And if he doesn't, listen to me, no matter who's elected, we are lost. We are lost. And this morning, what I wanted to do is I wanted to kind of piggyback on what happened because I believe that this election was the result of a loss of spiritual leadership in our country. The choices that we had as followers of Jesus Christ to vote on on Tuesday for the highest office of our land were not great choices for us. Because either one, we had to kind of hold our nose and decide what we felt like would do the most good. But we knew that neither one of our choices presented the best moral options for us as followers of Christ. And that's because we have moved to a place where we have lost spiritual leadership in our culture and in our country. And I just want to say this to us. The regaining of spiritual leadership is not going to come with any political figure. It is going to come with you and me. It's going to come with you and I who have the Holy Spirit that lives within us and allowing him to change my life first. And if he'll change my life and then we can come together and our lives can be changed as a church and then we can go into the city and see the city change, then that change will be able to resonate throughout our country. And then God can raise up good spiritual leadership across this country. But good spiritual leadership starts with you and me, with you and me. So can we just open the word of God this morning? And I just want to see what the Lord is calling us into as the Lord laid this in my heart. It's Exodus chapter 3. Go ahead and flip there in your Bibles. I don't know how you access scripture. Maybe you brought your phone with you this morning or iPad. You can grab one of the brown Bibles in the pews. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, that's what I preach out of. And you can flip there with me. Exodus chapter 3 is on page 90 in the brown Bibles if you want to turn there. What I want to talk about this morning is God's call on our lives to be spiritual leaders. And my question is, who is going to lead in our culture? Who's going to lead? I pray it'll be us. Exodus chapter 3, let me just set the table for you a little bit. The Lord allowed his people to end up in Egypt for 400 years over that course of time. 
They began to be oppressed by the Egyptians because the Egyptians feared the Israelites because they multiplied so greatly. And they were worried that if anyone came to attack Egypt, that the Israelites would join their enemy and overthrow Egypt. So they began to fear them. And one of the pharaohs decided, this is what we'll do. We'll begin to curb the growth of the Israelite population by asking the women who help the women give birth. If a male comes when the woman gives birth, you are to kill that male and only allow a female to be born. The problem was the women who were responsible for helping women give birth feared the Lord. And they weren't about to take a baby's life because Pharaoh told them to. And so they wouldn't do it. So Pharaoh came up with another plan. He commanded that every time a male was born, think about this, that you were to take that male child and go to the Nile River and toss it in. I just had a little girl a couple of weeks ago. I can't even imagine, I can't imagine living under a regime that would tell me that I should take my child and toss it into the river to drown or to be eaten by a crocodile or whatever else would take place in that river. But that's what the Israelites were living under. Except one woman decided to defy the Egyptians. And so when she gave birth to a wonderful son, she took him and she raised him for a few months. And after a while, when she couldn't hide him anymore, she took him, put him in a basket and trusted him to the Lord by setting him afloat. On a river. And as the Lord was sovereign, he guided that basket into the realm of Egypt, into the kingdom. And the Pharaoh's daughter, who was bathing, found that basket, took that child, and named that child Moses. And so an Israelite baby was raised in the Egyptian kingdom under the tutoring of the best minds in Egypt, under the best leadership. He learned politics. He learned the language. He learned the land. He learned the culture. He learned all of those things until he got to be a young man. And he began to realize that as a Hebrew who had been raised in Egypt, he began to see how his own people were oppressed by the Egyptians. And so one day as he was walking around, he saw an Egyptian slave master who was oppressing another Hebrew. And he, the anger rose up in him and he came and he murdered that, that slave driver. And he thought he had gotten away with it, except someone had seen him. And when he found out that he had been found out, he fled Egypt into the desert. And for three decades, Moses lived on the backside of the wilderness with a man named Jethro and his family and became a shepherd. Out of fear of Egypt, he fled into the desert and God began to move in his life because Jethro was what Scripture calls a priest of Midian. God began to work in Jethro and Moses through that. And so as we pick up in chapter 3, This is the story of how God begins to take Moses from a shepherd in the wilderness and raises him up as the leader of all God's people in Israel. Exodus 3 verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And there the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here am I. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. 
And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites and Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way of the Egyptians and how they are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And so God's plan begins to come to fruition. It begins to become clear where God had allowed Moses' life to be spared and allowed him to be raised in Egypt so that he could be the leader of God's people and take them out of Egypt. And God calls him in the desert. You are the one that's to go. Now is the time. Now the plan has come to fruition. You are to go and lead my people out. And what is going to happen in the next couple of verses is this crisis of faith with Moses because Moses is terrified. He doesn't want to fulfill this calling that God has given him. And what I want to draw this morning as we talk about who is going to lead, as we talk about the need for spiritual leadership, this is what I find. As we move through these scriptures this morning, you're going to see Moses lobbying all kinds of excuses to God about why he's not the man. That even though God has preserved his life and God has taken him down this road, he wants God to know, I'm not the right guy to do this. And what I found is the excuses that Moses gave them are the same excuses we give now whenever God says to us, hey, listen, I want you to step up to the plate and I want you to lead. So when God says, listen, I want you to teach a third and fourth grade girl Sunday school class, we'll we'll lob these excuses to him. Or when God says, I want you to start a Bible study in your workplace during lunch, you we lob these excuses to him. We give the same excuses. And what I want us to see as we keep going God has an answer for every one of Moses' excuses. He does. He has an answer. And what I found, the answers don't change because God doesn't change. The excuses are the same and the answers to the excuses are the same. God doesn't change. So will you just take some notes this morning? Will you write a few things down so the Holy Spirit can speak to your heart as this week progresses? And let's talk together about reasons why we don't lead. When the opportunity presents itself, what are the reasons why we don't lead? Let's start with chapter 3, verse 11. Here's Moses' response when God says, you are to go and to lead my people. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? In other words, here was Moses' excuse. I think there's a better person for the job. You know, who am I? I mean, it's a great plan. I like the plan. I love the whole get us out of oppression from Egypt. I love that. But I I just think, I, I think there's a better guy for the plan. There's a better person for the job. I'm not the guy. I'm sure none of us have ever said that when we've been faced with a challenge from the Lord. But that was his response. Uh, I, I think there's a better person for the job. Really? There's a better person than someone that was born a Hebrew, that was raised in Egypt, that learned the language, that knows the system, probably knows everyone in power, knows how the, the system works. And not just that, was sent out into the desert and for 30 years has learned how to survive in the desert with sheep and other people. What better person to fulfill God's plan than that? But isn't it true? That when fear wrecks our lives, we have no ability to see how God has already prepared and equipped us. And we shrink back. I mean, who could have been better than Moses to lead? But Moses says, listen, I think you got the wrong person. Listen to God's response in verse 12. And God said, 
I'll be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. In other words, God's response was this. My presence makes you the right person. My presence makes you the right person. You don't think you're the right person? If God Almighty would indwell you and I through the Holy Spirit, which he has, if we're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're the right person to accomplish anything he calls you to. Why? Because you have the resources of God Almighty. You have his knowledge, his wisdom, his empowerment. Every skill set you lack, he has because he indwells you. You're the right person. You're the right person. Because his presence goes with you. As a follower of Christ, the presence of God does not remain right here until you show up next Sunday morning at 1030. The presence of God goes out that door with you. And whether you know it or not, the presence of God is begging to penetrate you and to go out into this world. And if we'll submit to the Lord, it will. The presence of God is within us. Look at verse 13. Here's his second excuse. Verse 13, chapter 3. Moses said to God, you know, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? Then what shall I tell them? In other words, I don't feel prepared. I mean, what happens if I go and they ask me something I don't know, or they ask me to do something I don't know how to do, or I don't feel prepared, God, you, you can't be sending me to do that. And look at God's response in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Do you remember we spent all summer talking about Jesus' revelation of himself as the I am's, the different things, the banners we've got here. And that all started right here in Exodus 3 when God revealed himself personally as Ahiah, Asher, Ahiah. Do you remember that? In other words, he said, we translate it, I am who I am, or I will always be what I've always been, or I am the God who doesn't get defined by you. I don't, I don't bear description and definition by you. That is the God that told Moses to go. And when he said, I don't feel prepared, he was God's response. I am all you need. I am all you need. When he said, I'm not prepared, when he was afraid, Lord, what if they ask me a question I'll understand? God said, I am. Well, God, what if they ask me to do something I can't do? God said, I am. Well, God, what if we run up against a battle that I can't handle? I am. Well, what if Pharaoh won't let him go? What if we're in trouble? I am. That was God's response. Look at verse uh, chapter 4. Let's skip all the way down to chapter 4. I do encourage you, go back and read all of 3 and all of 4 when you get some time this week. But just for the sake of time, we won't read all of that in the sermon this morning. Let's look at Moses' third excuse, down to chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered, What if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord didn't appear to you? In other words, Lord, I'm I'm afraid of the outcome. I'm afraid if I step up the leadership, that that something's going to go wrong. I'm going to blow it. Listen, I, I wrestle with this all the time as a pastor. Anytime that I feel like the Lord is asking me to step out on faith or go in a new direction or whatever, my first thought is not, man, what a glorious thing the Lord's put in front of me. You know what the first thing that runs through my mind is? Well, what if this doesn't work out? 
What if we blow? What if we cast this vision and no one shows up? What if we uh, risk this budget and then it doesn't come through? It's always the first thing. And the Lord has to speak into me the same response that he's spoken to Moses. Look at verse uh, 2 of chapter 4. Then the Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. In other words, you already have all that you need to do this. Moses had in his hand everything that he needed to do what God called him to do. You remember that staff? Whenever he faced Pharaoh and his magicians, what did he do with the staff? He would throw it down to the ground. You've seen Charlton Heston do this, right? He would throw it down to the ground. And what would it become? The snake. And then he would grab it by the tail. And then what would it become? The staff again. And then that would be powerful enough. Or when they are leaving Egypt finally and they need to cross the Red Sea, what does Moses do? He takes that very staff in his hand and he strikes the Red Sea. And what happens? It parts. It parts. He had everything he needed in his hand. So when we say to God, listen, I'm afraid of the outcome. You know what I want God to say? Listen, don't worry about it. It's going to be fine. It's absolutely going to work. God doesn't do that, though. You know why? Sometimes God doesn't let it work out. Sometimes you step out on faith, sometimes you lead, and it falls apart. And you know why? Because it's none of your business anyway. It's his kingdom. And he gets to run it however he wants to. And the bigger deal is not the response and not what happens when I lead. The bigger deal is, am I obedient when he calls me to lead? You with me? So if you're paralyzed by fear right now, to step up to lead in any area of your life. Maybe the Lord's calling you to do a small group in your neighborhood or to start to minister to the women who are neighbors around you. Maybe God has called you to work in a, a nonprofit ministry around or to start a brand new thing. And you're saying to yourself, I'm too afraid to do it because what happens if I step out and I fail? Listen, none of your business. Be obedient to Jesus. Jesus can cover your failures. He can cover mine. He's been doing it for a long time. He's a big God. That can handle all of that. Look at verse 10. Down to verse 10. Let's see what Moses said here. Chapter 4, verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow to speech and I'm slow of tongue. In other words, I don't have the skill sets needed to accomplish this, Lord. That's what Moses was saying. I don't have the skill sets to accomplish this. You're telling me to go to Pharaoh. That's not a skill I have. Listen, I have a slow tongue. I, I don't know if he's tongue-tied. I don't know whatever else it was. But he told the Lord, I don't have the skills needed to accomplish this. Let's get verse 11 and 12, God's response. God said this, The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth, who makes him deaf or mute, who gives him sight or makes him blind, is it not I, the Lord? And maybe you need to underline this because this may be the verse that the Lord is speaking to you this morning more than anything else. Verse 12, chapter 4. Now go. I will help you to speak. And I will teach you what to say. Four different times Moses has given him excuse. And God said, listen, I made your tongue. I know all about it. Now go. Go. I'll help you to speak. And I'll teach you what to say. In other words, God's response was, I am the great equipper. When you lack, I'm the one who equips it. When you need a skill, I'm the one that can give it to you. If you look at a project and you say, God, that's not my wheelhouse, but God's calling you to do it. He is going to equip you to do it. He doesn't call people who are already equipped. He equips people who are called to do his work. You can't have fear. 
that you won't have a skill that you need. God would never call you into it if he wasn't going to provide that for you or if you didn't have it already and you just can't see it. God is calling us to step up as leaders. And here's the last one. Look at verse 13. The last excuse Moses made that morning. But Moses said, Lord, please send somebody else to do it. That tells you everything you need to know about this whole conversation, wasn't it? These were not legitimate excuses. He wasn't really concerned about whether or not he had the skill set. He wasn't really concerned about what Pharaoh's response or the people's response was. This is what he wanted. He wanted somebody else to do it. Lord, please send somebody else to do it. I know you have never said that before. I know that someone hasn't approached you to step up in leadership. And, uh, you know, Mark, will you will you lead the, the boys' soccer team, the boys' seventh and eighth grade soccer team or whatever? And I know the easy response is, Lord, please. Lord, will you, will you help out with the volleyball or whatever else it is? The easy response is, man, please, Lord, send somebody else. Can we pay attention to God's response? Look at verse 14. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. When Moses said, I know you've called me. Will you please send somebody else? What was God's response? Man, it's okay, champ. You know, you're right. I don't know what I was thinking calling you. Go back and tend the sheep. It's all good. I'll go find somebody else. That was not God's response. What was God's response when he called Moses to lead? And when Moses said, would you send somebody else? What was God's response? It said his anger burned against Moses. And listen, that's not a popular thing to preach from a pulpit. You know what's the popular thing to preach? It's how much God loves us, which he does. And how graceful he is when we mess up, which he is. And how merciful he is when we're disobedient, which he is. But you know what else scripture teaches us about God? When we are disobedient, when he calls us to step up, when he calls us to lead and we're not willing to do it. And whatever he's called us to do, you know what scripture says? One of his responses is anger, anger. And here's why. Because if God has called you to something, he created you to fulfill that. He hand-knit you in your mother's womb and gave you skill sets and experience that only you can fulfill. And when he calls you to that, he knows best. And when we can't step out on faith in that and we can't trust him, sometimes his response is anger. We need to hear that today. Because here's what I know. God is calling every one of us to lead somewhere. Husbands, God's calling you to lead in your family. You don't have to pray about that. You, You don't. You don't have to pray about that. God's calling you to lead in your family. Mothers, God is calling you to invest in your family and to lead spiritually. You don't have to pray about that. There are other areas that God's placed you, but there are things specifically beyond your natural calling that God gives you opportunity to take up and run with. Maybe it's something in your workplace. Maybe it's something in your neighborhood. Who knows what it is? My question for us is, how are we going to respond? You know, this morning, we're coming to the table in just a few minutes. And when we do that, I want you to understand something. Every month when we come to this table, we come here because one man was obedient to God the Father. Jesus Christ lived on this earth for 33 years. He never one time dishonored the Father. He did everything the Father wanted him to do, and he honored God completely. And think about this. The night before he died on a cross, he stood in a garden and he prayed. He wept. 
and he bled and sweated blood. He was so overcome with fear and terror and with the anticipation of what was going to happen the next morning. And this is what Jesus did when he prayed. Do you remember what he prayed? He prayed and he said, listen, if there's any other way to do this, I don't want to go to the cross. In other words, that's what he was saying. If there's any other way to do this, I want you to do it a different way. He was terrified. He was scared. But what was his ultimate response? It's not what I want, God. If this is what you're calling me to do, I'll do it. We come to a table today because someone answered that call to lead and was obedient to it. As we commune with him today, we have to remember that. This has been the Trinity Church Podcast. For more information on Trinity Evangelical Presbyterian Church, please check out our website at www.trinityepc.com. 